0: Hello, and welcome to the BPL podcast. My name is Josh, and this is our annual roundup of all of our favorite books, movies, games, and music 2023 had to offer. I put all the staff's favorites in the description with timestamps if you'd like to jump around. We have a lot to get to, so I'll pass it off to Autumn for adult fiction.
1: Hi, my name is Autumn, and I am one of the public service associates here at the Bexley Public Library. All of my favorite books came out this year are either fantasy or science fiction. Um, Apparently, all the new books I read are from one of those two genres, and everything else has to wait a few years. Those aren't really your jam, I understand, but please give a listen. You never know what you might find enticing. So, in no particular order, here are my top books published in 2023. I'm going to start with The Hexologists by Josiah Bancroft. Bancroft kicks open this book with the king's secretary visiting our protagonists, Is and Warren will be, to ask them to solve a mystery, which is sort of what they do. The king, he tells them, wants to be baked into a cake, and has gone so far as to try and stuff himself into a lit oven, which I thought was a great way to start a novel. Is and Warren are a little bit of an odd couple. Is is a hexologist, one of the four branches of magic within this Victorian-esque world, and one of only two still being legally practiced. She uses her abilities, which mostly involve chalk and hope, and the magical items left behind by her father to solve the problems of others. She tends to be uh, rather stubborn, tactless, and a hair, or more than a hair, reckless. Uh, She's balanced out by her husband, Warren, who, very easygoing, happy, and friendly with everyone, to the point of being able to cover for Iz when she needs to disappear, and to get them out of scrapes just by talking. There's also a dragon who lives inside a carpet bag, who named himself after a cat bird, and who occasionally eats people's arms. That last sentence gives you a general gist of this novel as a whole. It's a very light-hearted, plot-focused novel that grabs the reader at the beginning and drags them along for the ride. I will note here that the prose, while suited to the novel, can be a bit much. The words sometimes get away with the author, not to the extent that the novel is ever fully derailed. I personally think that the wordplay added to the world building, but I understand that not everyone will necessarily like it. second book I'd like to talk about is Bookshops and Bone Dust by Travis Baldtree. Bookshops and Bone Dust is the prequel to Travis Baldtree's novel Legends and Lattes. Both feature a young orc named Viv and fall into the cozy fantasy subgenre. In this novel, Viv is a young orc who has just recently joined up as a mercenary with Rackham's Ravens, and even more recently been wounded and sidelined from her own stupidity. She finds herself stuck in Merck, a seaside town in the middle of nowhere, barely able to walk and in desperate need of something to do. But of course, Merck doesn't remain as quiet as Viv thought it would. What I really admire about this novel, besides the love of books that pervades it, is that Baldtree was very successful at showing a young and energetic Viv growing and learning about a life outside of her current dream path, while still demonstrating that she's not ready for that yet. At one point, another character asks Viv, quote, so you want to do battle with the book selling business? End quote. And that sums up Viv pretty well at this stage. The author T. Kingfisher describes the Legends and Lattes, which is the sequel to this book, as quote a warm hug of a book end quote and that seems to me to be the perfect way to describe bookshops and bone dust as well it's a gentle slice of life novel that might contain necromancers but not too many the third book i want to talk about is system collapse by martha wells i'm not gonna lie i may have run around like a tiny child the day i got this book Um, it's the seventh book in the Murderbot diaries and like all of them it's absolutely fantastic Nothing I say about this novel is representative enough of how epic it is. It is a science fiction series set in a universe where humanity has kind of colonized the galaxy, the kind of being because sometimes planets are colonized by a corporation and then forgotten about or abandoned, as has happened in this specific novel. that's okay, Murderbot is grudgingly here to rescue them. Uh, Murderbot, also known as SecUnit, is a human bot construct who has inadvertently escaped life as a forced security guard and has to figure out what it actually wants. But not in the the sit-and-ponder-the-universe way, more in the hide-in-ships-and-rewatch-episodes-of-Sanctuary-Moon-and-try-to-forget-it-all-happened way. To which Murderbot normally fails epically by being dragged into human schemes. And by sometimes getting attached to its humans, mostly against its will. Uh, Murderbot handles the world and its own anxiety and what it views as the sheer stupidity of humans with deadpan humor and snark that is always spot on. I pulled a quote to demonstrate this. Quote, I was supposed to check in regularly with my emotions, which I pretended was a thing I had any intention of doing. End quote. Martha Wells does a spectacular job with this series, creating an entertaining and relatable main character, a wonderful cast of supporting characters, including Art, who is my absolute favorite, and a breathing, livable world. I really recommend them, especially in the audiobook forms. As I said before, this is my favorite series, although they do have to be read in order. So the first book is all systems read. The only complaint I ever have about these is that they're always too short with most of them being sub-200 pages, which is just not enough murder bot. And then the last novel I'd like to talk about is Even Though I Knew the End by C.L. Polk. Technically, this novella came out in November of last year, but it's just so good I couldn't not include it. This book is a little like being stabbed in the heart and wishing the stabbing lasted longer. I know that sounds absolutely absurd, but that's the best way I have of describing it. It's an urban fantasy novel uh, following Helen, a warlock who's been expelled from the magical community for selling her soul to save her younger brother's life. As with any such bargain in this 1940s alternative Chicago, Helen got 10 years to live out her life before her soul is collected, something she has not told her longtime lover, Edith. Mere days before her soul is to be uh, collected, Helen is granted a reprieve. Her soul in exchange for tracking down the serial killer rampaging through the city. I can't say anymore as I don't wanna give anything away, but this novella reads like a full novel with a really well-developed world, a good setting and wonderful characters. And even though the title is, even though I knew the end, knowing it, if you guess correctly, doesn't spare you. So I hope you give one of these a try. I recommend all of them and happy reading.
2: Hello, my name is Beth and I'm a public services associate at Bexley Public Library. And today I'm going to talk a bit about some of my favorite nonfiction books from 2023. The first one I want to discuss is Birth, Three Mothers, Nine Months and Pregnancy in America by Rebecca Grant. One of the great joys of working at a library is to be constantly surrounded by books. Keeping up to date with what's new, what's coming out, is part of the job, but it's always impossible to be in the loop on everything. But when you work in a circulation role, you're always coming across materials you've never heard about. When you're checking in returns, putting books back on the shelf, grabbing books for a patron, there's always something new to find. Birth was one such book. I saw it on the shelf and it immediately caught my eye. My favorite sort of nonfiction books are books that explore important sociological, political, or economic topics that are also told through the life experiences of real and ordinary people. Birth fits that bill perfectly. As the title suggests, Birth tells the stories of three women as they go through the experience of pregnancy and childbirth for the first time. All three are clients at the same birth center, the Andalus Water Birth Center in Portland, Oregon. Part of the story told in Birth. Is the increasing interest of american women in midwifery and less medicalized birthing i.e birthing done in a hospital setting with an abundance of medical instruments grant examines arguments and speculations on how america's over medicalization of birth perhaps contributes to birthing complications over medicalization in this context may be thought of as the medical system's tendency to treat and view all or most births as worst case scenarios rather than exceptions to the rule. Monetary incentives likely also play a role. While being prepared for worst case scenarios may be necessary. Grant also points out that these kinds of preparations are also very costly. And so are more financially lucrative for the hospitals where these births take place. Aside from costs, the risks of complications, questions of agency and autonomy are also at the center of these birthing discussions. All of the women that Grant follows have had experiences in the traditional medical system, where they felt belittled or seamrolled by medical professionals. On account of these experiences, these women have chosen to be clients of the Andalus Center, where they will be attended to by midwives and can give birth in a more home-like environment. In such an environment, they also believe that they will have more autonomy over their birth. Of course, things don't always go to plan, and we see how these women navigate these decisions and complications throughout. I found Birth to be an important and fascinating book that contextualizes these women's stories within the larger discussion of birthing in America. Grant tells these women's stories with compassion and detail. Blending larger sociological discussions with real-life stories, fans of the book evicted by Matthew Desmond will be sure to enjoy it. As America in the midst, is in the midst of a political climate where issues surrounding birth and pregnancy are taking center stage, it is imperative that we hear directly from those who have to navigate the system. Birth is an excellent resource to such a conversation. Another one of my favorites from 2023 is Cobalt Red How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives by Siddharth Kara. Cobalt Red is a work of on the ground investigative reporting and investigates and exposes the cobalt mining industry in the Congo. Cobalt is an essential mineral in the production of batteries and, as such, is an essential to powering much of our lives, from electric vehicles to smartphones. Moreover, nearly half of the world's reserves of cobalt are found in the Congo, which makes this country incredibly important to the overall industry. Carr's book, tragically, is not a tale of how the need for this essential and important mineral has led to an economic resurgence and alleviation of poverty in the country. Just the opposite. Carr exposes how the mining industry there escapes regulations that are meant to protect the workers, residents, and the environment from the worst of the industry. Indeed, even today, more than 75% of the Congo's population lives below the poverty line and most lack access to safe drinking water and electricity. CARA blends historical exploration of the country, where under Belgian colonization, mining towns in the Katanga region were built, to the country's independence, where Belgium and other Western countries worked to undermine the country's elected leader and helped install a corrupt government that stole resources and money to enrich themselves, with the stories of real-life people toiling in the industry today. Today, about two-thirds of the mining is operated on industrial scale, where there are some worker protections. However, the remaining sector is done by what are called artisanal miners, meaning miners who work with small tools instead of large machinery. It is in this sector of the industry that is the focus of Car's investigation, and he spends time on the ground investigating these operations and speaking to workers. This sector is also much less regulated, and it is here we see the horrific abuses that Carr's book seeks to illuminate. Here we see forced labor, child labor, catastrophic incidents that lead to permanent disability and death. These workers work in grueling conditions day in and day out, with no protective gear. Breathing in toxic fumes, coming into direct contact with the toxic metal. One of the most distressing stories Carr tells is of girls as young as 11 years old, who work in the mines with their infants strapped to their back. While speaking with these workers, Carr learns how this cobalt makes its way into the supply chain. After it is mined out, workers take their deposits to a depot, and despite regulations, Scar finds that many of these depots are owned by Chinese entities, where the miners are paid depending on the weight and grade of the cobalt. These depots then sell this ore to processing facilities, facilities that also buy ore from industrial, more regulated mines. And because of this, there is no way to tell whether the ore that a company is buying comes from an industrial mine or from an artisanal mine. And so Kara comes to the conclusion that there is no such thing as a clean supply chain of cobalt from the Congo. Cobalt Red is a challenging read, yet important read. As the title of the book makes clear, cobalt powers our lives. And as people who rely on this mineral, it's important to understand the tremendous human costs that come from this supply chain.
3: And now for something completely different. This is your friendly Neighborhood Youth Services Associate Amanda here with some of my picks for the best 2023 books for youth readers. Now, of course, this is just a personal selection, though I did have some help picking these by looking at the awards, honors, and good reviews that these books received this year. Now, by no means is this a definitive list. Uh, If you're looking for some more really great suggestions, Check out our Caldecott and Newbery Award displays later this year uh, at the end of December and through the beginning of January before the Caldecott next year. Now, let's jump into it. Have you ever been busy while sitting still? Have you ever had to just let go to keep climbing? Just because is a little look at all of these beautiful contradictions that make up the world around us written by world-famous actor and New York Times best-selling author Matthew McConaughey, with some amazing illustrations by Renee Carilla, this deeply introspective and wittily written picture book is sure to get your kids thinking about all the little paradoxes that make up our life, and it might just help them embrace the chaos. Now, this picture book does a great job of showing the sometimes illogical act of perseverance in the face of hardship, and the importance of being both tough and kind. Moving on to middle grades. Suspense, thrills, chills, murder mysteries have it all, and while they have long been a top genre in that middle grade literature section, these guys have finally risen to the top and taken the place of the long-reigning king of 2000s juvenile books, the dystopian novel. Even with the recent resurgence of Hunger Games fans for the prequel, murder mysteries are on top this year, and there is no better entry to this genre than The Moonwind Mysteries by Johan Runberg. Let me put on my Sofia Petrillo voice. Picture it. Stockholm, 1880. The notorious Night Raven, a deadly serial killer has finally been brought to justice. Or has he? follow Mika as she tries to find the connections between a baby dropped at the orphanage that she lives at by mysterious boy and the Night Raven murders. Combining historical fiction, a thrilling murder plot, a plucky 12-year-old orphan protagonist, and a good dose of dystopian influence, the Night Raven is sure to be a hit with the action-loving middle graders. Though of course, the only thing more popular than murder mysteries for those middle graders is the good old graphic novel. Spurred on by the success of Raina Telgemeier's work with drama and the Babysitter's Club series and bolstered further by recent hits like Camp and Allergic. Realistic fiction is the genre in graphic novels. It's the hot new thing. This year's most exciting new addition to that genre has to be Four Eyes, a graphic novel written by Rex Ogle, with illustrations by Dave Veleza. You see, sixth-grader Rex was already going to have a tough time in middle school. His best friend is flaky, he's the shortest guy in the class, and then there's this girl that he really likes, and he has no idea if she likes him back. All of that is already brewing, so when he notices that his eyesight has started to go fuzzy, well, he knows he's in for a bad time. Glasses? Ugly glasses that his parents picked out for him? Oh, goodness. He might not survive sixth grade. Oh, and speaking of survival stories, that brings us to our young adult selection for this year. Mixing the intrigue of a war story and the magnetic attraction of mythology in a way not seen so masterfully done since Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson, Magnus Chase, and Kane series... Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross delves deep into a world where the gods have reawakened and then immediately descended into war. 18-year-old Iris Winnow works a teeny tiny little bit position at the Oath Gazette, a newspaper that's covering the war. With her mother falling deeper into addiction and her brother MIA from the war front, she has got to keep it all together, hopefully with a promotion to columnist. But when she finds that her undelivered letters to her brother have started to appear in the hands of her rival at the paper, Roman Kit, these two, Roman and Iris, become bound by fate, their own and mankind's, as it draws them to the battlefield. This amazing enemies to lovers story is woven into the threads of myth and crisis to make for an epic of godly proportions. Now, of course, bringing us back around, as I mentioned at the beginning, there are hundreds of new books for youth this year. And as usual, it was nearly impossible to whittle this list down. The selections that I've pulled are just a mere sliver of what's out there. So as always, come join us here at BPL and check (laughs) us out.
4: Hi everyone, my name is Debbie. I work here at the Bexley Public Library, and 2023 was a great year for movies. There were so many good movies, it's hard for me to pick four favorites, but I'm gonna do my best. And as much as I love some of the bigger movies this year, I'm looking at you, Barbenheimer, I thought I would talk about some smaller movies I like that you might have missed. Past Lives, it's a feature film debut by Celine Song, starring Greta Lee. T.O.U., and John Magaro. This film, it's uh, set in Korea, and 12-year-old's Na Young and Sung are classmates and are just beginning to have feelings for each other when uh, Na Young's parents up and move to Canada. Na Young changes her name to Norm Moon and totally embraces Western culture. And she and Sung don't see each other for many years. This movie... The reason I like it so much is that it's one of those bittersweet romances where the characters have such a strong pull towards each other, but for whatever reason, it never quite happens. And in their case, they're a path not taken. She will always have feelings for him, but the current life that she's chosen doesn't have room for him in it, and the the path that she's on is the path that she wants to take. It also touches on the Korean Buddhist concept of Inyun, the connection, fate, or destiny of two people, where they they obviously have a strong Inyun, but for whatever reason, it's just not happening in this life, but maybe in the next. It's a beautiful, moving, and thoughtful movie on what might have been. The next film that I really liked from last year was 1001, and this is also a debut film. It's from A.V. Rockwell, who was born and raised in Queens to parents from Jamaica. It won the jury prize at the Sundance Film Festival, and it stars Tiana Taylor in an amazing, powerful role, and William Catlett. It's a portrait of the fierce love between mother and son and the neighborhood of Brooklyn over several decades. Tiana Taylor, her character Inez, gets out of prison and she sees her son on the street in foster care. She takes him aside and she knows that he has some bruises on him and asks him if he's happy in foster care. And he says no and asks him if he would rather go with her. In a, a very sweet mode, he doesn't have any words. He just nods his head. And so she she kidnaps him and takes him to live with her. It's about the relationship, but it's also the story about how the system that's supposed supposed to help them ends up failing them. But it's not a story with one-note characters that just exist to kind of prove a point. They make the best of things, like they're fully fleshed out and feel very real. It's a very powerful film with amazing performances. And so I think that if you have a chance, you should totally check out 1001. Another film I liked from this past year was Shortcomings. This one's directed by Randall Park and a screenplay written by Adrian Tomney, who also wrote the wonderful graphic novel that I really like. And I feel that Asian representation was very good this year. Uh, Shortcomings is the story of a trio of young Bay Area urbanites, Ben Tanaka, Miko Hayashi, and Alice Kim, and their adventures and misadventures in love and adulting. It's very funny, and the character is so real, both lovable and aggravating, and the dialogue feels spot-on to 20-somethings trying to figure things out. The main character, Ben Tanaka, makes some idiotic choices, and it's not necessarily unlikable, but he is very selfish in the way that some 20-somethings can be. But I love the, that this movie can show Asian characters as full, fallible human beings and not model minorities filled with asian wisdom and no martial arts <laughs> and other fun movies with asian characters this year was the charming and funny family story the persian version and the ragas and raunchy joy ride the which i really enjoyed but that one is a, a very hard art so not for the whole family but it was enjoyable Last but not least, I really enjoyed You Hurt My Feelings, written and directed by Nicole Hofzender, starring Julia Louise Dreyfus and Toby Mendez. It is a witty comedy about the little white lies couples tell each other and whether honesty is truly the best policy. Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus' character, Beth, is a um, award-winning memoirist and she's written her first novel and is kind of nervous about it because her agent gave her sort of lackluster praise her husband backed up and praised the book and said she probably should get a different agent who was more enthusiastic about the book but Beth overhears her husband Don saying that he didn't really like her book and he doesn't know how to tell her without hurting her feelings it sounds like it might be stressful but actually it was a very funny comedy it's a a great comedy for anyone who's ever been in a relationship And kind of knows like the the balance between like being a good, honest partner and also like um, maybe telling a little white lie now and then. I hope you enjoy all these movies, and when you're in the library, let me know what movies you like.
5: 2023 was a remarkable year for Gaming. And as we come to a conclusion on this third year, in the ninth generation of home video game consoles, let's take a look back at some of the best this year had to offer. In no particular order, I would like to highlight some of the games this year that, when faced with the challenge of launching in a window of time that was surrounded by so many other hotly anticipated games, rose to the occasion and left an indelible impression on myself and so many others that I would be remiss to not include them today uh, to share with you all. To start, I would like to first allow a moment for a few honorable mentions. I tried to keep this list limited to games that would typically not be considered AAA, uh, AAA being the term that's given to games produced by the largest companies with the largest budgets. But I felt that this year, a a year as packed as this one, uh, not mentioning any of those AAA games would be a disservice. Uh, So, honorable mentions. To start off, I have Dead Space Remake, uh, developed by Motive Studio, published by EA. The Resident Evil 4 Remake, published and developed by Capcom. Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order, both made by Respawn Entertainment. And then lastly, for honorable mentions, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom by Nintendo. But to start off the list proper, we're going to do the only AAA game that actually did make this list. That game being Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3 is an isometric, turn-based CRPG with an emphasis on gameplay mechanics and immersion rather than visuals. However, uh, that is not to say that Baldur's Gate does not have the visuals down in spades. The game is absolutely gorgeous to behold, uh, but even more fun to manipulate. Baldur's Gate takes the traditional tabletop RPG formula of Dungeons & Dragons and gets rid of the Game Master, substitutes it in with the video game's myriad of systems, uh, so you can get right to the meat of what makes role-playing in a fantasy world so much fun, uh, that being combat, exploration, and, of course, the roleplay. With over 17 race and sub-race options, over 36 class and subclass class options, uh, numerous other background, attribute, and skill customization options, the choice is yours on what kind of adventure you want to be uh, over the course of the 100-plus hour campaign in the Forgotten Realms. Be that a benevolent hero that sacrifices their own health and safety for that of their community, or a malevolent villain who cannot resist but give in to their darkest urges. Baldur's Gate 3 is available on PC and PS5 at the time of this recording, with an Xbox Series S and X release confirmed, but no actual release date has yet been announced. Next on the list is a game that rather then letting you manage a ragtag of team of heroes through a fantastic world of magic and wonder, puts you right into the depths of a chilling murder mystery where slow burn psychological terror turns to frantic survival horror action. Welcome to Bright Falls, Washington. This is Alan Wake 2. Alan Wake 2 is the third game in the Remedy Connected Universe connecting 2010's Seminole Alan Wake and 2019's Control. You follow the titular Alan Wake, a writer who wakes on the shore of Cauldron Lake near Bright Falls, Washington, to learn that he's been missing for 13 years following the events of Alan Wake 1, as well as FBI agent Saga Anderson, who's been sent to the town to investigate the latest victim in a series of ritualistic slaughters. The gameplay switches between Saga and Alan to give both intense, heart-pounding third-person action and mind-bending puzzles where Alan, and the player, must use their skills to alter the dark place where he currently resides to find his escape. Alan Wake 2 also leverages its breathtaking visuals and full-motion video sequences to truly immerse players in Bright Falls. Made for fans of True Detective and The New Weird, Alan Wake is available now on PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X and S. Now, taking a step away from The New Weird and foggy Washington Lakes, let's take a step offshore to a distant archipelago and cast our line for Lovecraftian sea creatures in Dredge. Dredge is the debut title by Black Salt Games, a studio that consists of only three developers who really led with their best foot forward on this title. Dredge sees the player controlling a small fishing boat on a day-night cycle where mini-games are completed to catch fish or underwater salvage. And you may be thinking, uh, that's pretty par for the course in most fishing games, Uh, but the catch comes when the player stays out late in the night, and a panic meter begins to rise. And that panic meter can cause hallucinations that can alter reality around the boat. And some fish are only available during the night hours, forcing the uh, risky player to stay out during those times if they want to fish for the best rewards. The art in Dredge is what some have taken to call low-poly impressionism, which really lends itself well to presenting the unfathomable creatures that are found in the fathoms of Dredge's inky seas. However, recent updates to the game have also enabled a passive mode uh, that you can find in the settings, so... For those of us who don't yet have the courage uh, to be beset upon by Lovecraftian horrors, Passive Mode will make all of the traditionally hostile creatures non-hostile, so you can enjoy your cozy fishing to your heart's content. Dredge is available now on PC, PS4, and 5, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S. I wanted to give one last honorable mention here at the end of our list to a game that officially released in 2022 on PC, but re-released this year in 2023 for PlayStation VR 2, that game being The Last Clockwinder. It is a puzzle game where you must uh, use your wits so that you can create automaton recordings of yourself to solve and complete more and more complex tasks and puzzles. The Last Clockwinder is available on PlayStation 5's PSVR 2 and PC where supporting VR headsets are available. That has been the gaming section of Bexley Public Library's 2023 year in review. My name is Paul. Thank you for your time. Happy
0: holidays, and we look forward to seeing you next year. Hello, it's Josh again with a few of my favorite music releases in 2023. My first one is Celebrants by Nickel Creek. They've been playing together for over 30 years, and I just found out they performed their first show when they were between the ages of 8 and 12. They haven't released new music in nine years, so I felt a lot of anticipation for this record, and I was not disappointed. It runs about an hour with a ton of intricacies and small details that reveal themselves after multiple listens. We'll listen to a minute of Stone's Throw to give you a little taste of this dynamic record.
5: when I didn't answer Your distress and you Distant mountain, incomplete control Lonely but safe
0: Now I'm just a stone stone. away Sundial by No Name is my second pick. No Name came onto my radar in 2018 with her release of Room 25. I was sad to see her pause her music career after this release and was pleasantly surprised when Sundial was announced. This album feels both old and new, um, and the song Black Mirror is a perfect example of this. Here's a minute of that song.
2: My, Benny. But you've been
0: a cook- my last pick is the land is on inhospitable and so are we by amitsky. She's released some great music over the past decade and has even ventured into writing music for film. Her short songs are moody and jam-packed with emotion, making for a very re-listenable album. Here's the song, My Love, Mine All Mine. tuning in the BPL Podcast today. Like I said, I put all the items mentioned today into the description if you need to quickly pull a title or two. To find out more about the Bexley Public Library, including upcoming events, visit our website, bexleylibrary.org, or the handle at Bexley Library across all social media platforms. Special thanks to FOMO Deep for lending us their song Bourbon Neat for the podcast. Please check out all their music at fomodeep.com. Email me with any comments, questions, or suggestions at podcast at Thank you.